You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV-focused website, The Driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, welcome back to the podcast and congratulations, Solar Hall of Fame. Well, I was just about to say the same to you. Uh, You have to add that to your intro, my friend. Uh, Inductee. To the Solar Hall of Fame, Mr. Giles Parkinson, congratulations to you. Well, thank you very much. And um, also to um, Renata Egan and to Steve Bloom, um, fellow inductees into the Solar Hall of Fame, joining some real big names um, in the industry, right back from Martin Green onwards. I mean, just um, I feel a bit embarrassed to be um in that lot because i think i'm probably the only person there that couldn't screw back in solar panel on the roof or whatever but um <laughs> at least i write your, about it so <laughs> your, your speech was brilliant i think you've made a terrible mistake i think is what you said <laughs> something, something to that effect i don't deserve to be here but no you're, you're exactly right mate I, it was a wonderful way to start a couple of days in sydney at the conference being inducted and uh i'm with you mate very very humbling to be in such esteemed company so uh mm-hmm. yeah very exciting very exciting so we can and refer look, to each other as hoffs you know hoffs hoffs, hoffs. yes I, I, I actually want to know where this hall is i, I, I want it to have a physical presence <laughs> so we can kind of go there and take photos of ourselves in front of it and things like that so you know, i don't think you can have a hall of fame without actually having a hall without a hall that's a we can rent one idea. out and sort of put up a sign or something like that. But, um, you know, so <laughs> what do you there's, there's a challenge then, for us over the next year. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, no, that's right. Yeah, so we had the um, Smart Energy um, Expo last week in Sydney. So um, lots of people turned up. Um, yes. Just one or two of us um, in masks, but um, everybody else, I presume, had already had COVID or. Didn't worry about getting it, and um, or got it, was it as a great con- to get- got as a oh, consequence. There's a couple oh, of people God. who've gone down already. So yes. oh really? Oh okay. Oh, yes. well, I'm glad. I'm glad I was all masked up. Um, but look, I'm um, great to actually hear people speaking. Um, see people around the traps. Um, interesting seeing some you know variety of different stories of different positions some people in some people think that the industry is pretty shit at the moment excuse the language Mm. which is kind of borne out by warwick's latest data of the biggest monthly fall outside of a january um since whenever um big fall in the last month um just um, some sort of seasonal, more than just seasonal patterns. The panel has been raining a lot and people can't put um, panels on roofs and that's created a bit of a glut, but that's just kind of one part of the story. But other people sort of said, hey, we're doing okay. So mm. a real mixed bag. What did, um, what did you get from it? Yeah, similar, actually. Uh, mixed bag. And, and, and you know, as, as one of my wise industry peers said to me, um, you know, when it rains and it's cold, like it is here in Sydney today, um, people don't think about solar. They tend to think about rugs and Netflix and heaters, maybe. And uh, so, you know, there's a psychological impact of the weather cooling down as well and, and all this rain. And, and so that kind of 
literally puts a damper on uh, on people's um, psychological motivation towards thinking about solar. Um, that doesn't last forever, of course. But um, yeah, between that and you know the physical issues associated with rain. In fact, I spoke to one person who said, "Well, yeah, it's been raining pretty consistently on and off since the beginning of the year." And he said, "Well, actually, we did the numbers the other day, and we worked at it since October last year in New South Wales. We've actually been rain affected." pretty consistently so um you know and of course we had the floods back then so yeah so that you can't can't underestimate the impact of um of of weather on uh, on a solar business it's really significant and even even if it's not you know the direct impacts it, it the indirect consequences mean oh well you might not get the job done so you got to go back again or you, you you schedule around weather so you start the job you do a little bit then you go off and you do some some other stuff that's not rain affected and then you come back and have a second stab at it and then you come back and have a third stab at it. And, and for the people managing the logistics of all of that in the back end, that's just wasted time, right? So, yeah, so it ends up sort of compounding together to really sort of dampen everything, um, literally and uh, metaphorically. Hmm. So there's three different presentations I'm running through the conference at the same time. Great to hear some speeches. Um got um there was the solar installers section there was kind of the technology section which kind of focused on wind solar a bit of batteries and quite a bit on hydrogen on the second day and um Mm. and then some of the sort of the main thinking speeches or the mainstream speeches um about the future of the industry and the grid in the main hall um including from some of the political candidates and um it was great to hear some of the um teal so-called teal independents um adam bant was there chris bowen and anthony albanese turned up chris bowen made a really good speech albanese got stuck in a press conference because there were some dickheads <laughs> from the mainstream media who decided that they were going to pay a gotcha moment and it was interesting, um, Michael Mazengarp, who sort of um, writes for Renew Economy, and he was actually at the press conference. I wasn't. Um, um, but he just, he was pretty appalled by it. He just shook his head and just went, Jesus, you know, these guys have turned up. They've looked at an electric truck. They've gone around the place. They've had, you know, had a look at all these things. Not a single question asked about clean energy and things like that. And I guess that sort of kind of tells us a lot about the sort of the state of the politics at the moment and the state of the media and its focus. But um, that's why places like Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid and Driven and podcasts such as Energy Insiders and Solar Insiders are, are very important. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. You're exactly right. Yeah, the media circus uh, can have its fun and um, bring its clowns along, but, um, you know, on the sidelines, telling the truth, getting to the real story, that's us. Yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't actually go out to any of the um, off-site sort of um, events. I, I just sort of couldn't re- reconcile myself between wearing a mask and having a drink. I don't think they've quite solved that problem yet. Um, so <laughs> I just sat there and thought about it for a moment, going, "Hang on, this isn't going to work." So I just went and <laughs> had um, caught up with my kids, which was just as good and possibly even better. But um, possibly yes, better. Um, yeah. Yes. Um. Everyone. I'm um, sort of reasonably conference fit there, Nigel. Well, you know, yes and no. Uh, certainly, the networking uh, networking was uh, on fire as usual. There were a whole lot of events that ran around the fringes. The biggest one uh, was on the Tuesday night. Uh, the Solar Cutters event is always a, a huge catch up, and it's sort of the, the kick off to the conference. And I think, you know, uh, overall, um, it was a, it was a fantastic event. It was, you know, there was a whole, you know, not not conference fit. I think is probably a good 
description because we're all, you know, pretty excited to see each other. Um, and um, so, you know, the drinks were flowing and, and, and everyone was very, very, you know, hyper excited, I think uh, was, was the way I could describe some of the people that I saw there. Um, and, um, you know, so it was a, it was a terrific networking event and there was a really big crowd there, a couple of short speeches, um, marred a little bit, unfortunately, by, you know, the issue around people not being match fit, um, getting a little bit over exuberant and, um, you know, well, not behaving not behaving well just not showing respect i mean that's just yeah. simply just not good enough nigel i mean you, I, I wasn't there but i heard about it and i was pretty appalled mm. when i heard about it and um look i mean you know it's um you know whether you think it's a joke or it's funny or whatever it's just not on guys and you just got to show everyone respect um regardless of the um their sex the sexuality their um um you know wherever they've come from um it's just not good enough and um this industry should be better than that so look believe it there i know that you've had a quiet word with a couple of people um yeah, and, and hopefully I, and I, it doesn't repeat itself yeah and here here and i have to say you know full credit to the smart energy council and and i want i want to also highlight that and you know i don't want to pin it on the solar covers the solar covers do a great job of bringing people together and building those networks and everything else and by and large it was just a wonderful 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 event uh and i have to highlight that some of the complaints that i heard about and i'm aware of four or five uh some of those complaints were you know in the middle of the day of 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 people's behavior in the hall um and uh, there was some around the networking. There was some around some of the other events that were there. So there were there were a number of occurrences, um, which, which you know just were completely not good enough. Not good enough. It's not 1983. It's not 1971. It's not 1952. We're in 2022, and particularly the ladies of our industry um, deserve a whole lot more respect. But the conversation was really active. I was very fortunate to get involved a little bit with the AWISE team, Australian Women in Solar Energy, who um, had a great session on day two where they talked about these issues. And, you know, the first step is let's have a conversation. And there's a lot of good conversations going on now about how we can improve um, uh, you know, uh, the behaviour of people around these types of events, which I reckon will um, will change things uh, forever, uh, starting with um, starting from today. Good, good. Um, yes, um, education, if it's needed, is very important. Yeah. Um, Nigel, moving on to some more positive news. Angus Taylor, Federal Energy Minister, was spotted oh. at a solar module factory. Um, extraordinary. I mean, this is the first time we think he's been that close to a solar panel in this three and a half years. As um, He hasn't got that very, he hasn't got very close to a wind turbine, I don't think. Um, although there are some up and down the road where he lives, I think. Um, but, um, gee. Extraordinary. What a, is exactly what, a coup, what a coup for Tendo Solar, who rolled out the first, the, the updated manufacturing facility with a new set of panels, which um, they think will make them competitive with some of the best in class coming from overseas. So, um, how do yeah. they pull that off, Nigel? Well, uh, perseverance is what I heard. Long, 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 long effort of perseverance to try and get uh, the appropriate minister, Mr. Angus Taylor, to come and open a solar plant. But uh, bless him, bless him. Uh, Angus has turned a corner, uh, which is impressive to see because, you know, he wouldn't have done that. Um, well, he has never done that before, I don't think, or certainly not for years and years and years. So, yeah, congratulations to the guys at Tindo for opening their new plant. Congratulations on the new 
solar modules that they're uh, that they've renounced and and are starting to ship out now. And congratulations, uh, Gus. Uh, turned a corner, mate. We're proud of you. Well, I think he might have peeped his head around the corner. I'm not too sure if he's turned a corner, but good on Tinder for actually getting out. Look, he, getting he out cut the ribbon. To, I saw the video. To, he cut the ribbon. That was good. That's good. Look, he, he went to an event which had nothing to do whatsoever with any fossil fuels of any sort at all. And that's, as you say, that's a major step forward. So, um, yeah, good for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, I think we can actually safely say that um, Tinto Solar is now the um, only manufacturing, a solar manufacturing or solar assembly plant in Australia. Um, because another mob who claimed to be, we kind of mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, M Square, they've kind of, um, we've, we've learned a few more details about what's been going wrong there. Nigel, can you share that with us? Yeah, so I mean, the, the the plot thickens. I think is really um, the the synopsis of it. There's still not details of exactly what has happened um, public, but what we do know is that the Clean Energy Council um, uh, mentioned in in one of their announcements that the Clean Energy Regulator had permanently suspended M Square Energy as a registered person and their Renewable Energy Certificate registry account on the basis that it was no longer a fit and proper. Uh, entity under the Renewable Energy Act, and that that suspension came into effect on March 11th. Now, I'm not aware there might be one or two other instances of someone being declared not a fit and proper entity, but that's bloody serious. It's bloody serious. I don't know what they've done, but to have the Clean Energy Regulator declare them no longer fit and proper, they have done something pretty major, and I hope we find out what it is. We did learn a little bit more in that um, the panel sold in Australia didn't comply with IEC 61215 and 61730, and um, they also breached uh, a variety of terms and conditions for of sale uh, around solar panels and, 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 you know, sort of, putting the final nail in the coffin really for m square which is it's you know it's a shame that there isn't another solar manufacturer in australia i'll say that but clearly these guys have uh, have made some some monumental blunders and the cer even said if any of the office holders attempt to re-enter the small-scale renewable energy scheme i.e generate stcs through the sale of their panels um if they uh, attempt to re-enter through different companies the clean energy regulator will take prior suspensions into account and may refuse registration. So, you know, they're going at them hard. So whatever they've done, it was serious. Mm, absolutely. Well, we should clarify this thing about no other solar manufacturer. I mean, you've got 5B. Um, they were quite, um, they're quite interesting. Um, they're more sort of prefabricated sort of um, arrays and modules. And um, I can't quite remember the size of their arrays now, but um, they're about, what, 10? Now I'm stuck. I don't even know. But anyway, basically, they arrive right on the back of the truck and they've been making them um, about 60 megawatt or 80 megawatt um, capacity in Sydney. Yep. And it, um, word is that um, they're about to, because they're still the preferred supplier for the Sun Cable project, this massive 20 gigawatt solar thing. Now, whether they actually land all that capacity, um, Look, I'd imagine they'll probably hand them to that sort of mantle of that size. They'll probably hand it out to a couple of different suppliers. But almost inevitably, you're going to see a solar manufacturing base up there somehow or somewhere um, up near Darwin and manufacturing facility there. Um, you've got, um, and, and just as a, as a, 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 a side to that, they actually. Uh, claimed a new world record for installing um, the most amount of solar per person in a single day. Um, at a um, at a facility in Chile, high up in the Atacama Desert, which is pretty important, having that sort of efficiency when you're moving people into remote areas. And um, 
we talked about Fortescue um, many episodes ago, and they're pushing to thin film solar through the purchase of this Dutch uh, stake in this Dutch company, Hyatt. And you're sort of wondering, oh, really thin film? Are we back to there now? But look, they just announced in the last week that they're investing, gee, what was it? Is it 40 or $60 million in a new production facility in the Netherlands yes. making thin yes. film solar? So they obviously... They're, they're, often, they're often running, aren't they? They want to they fill running. that gap. Yeah. And their promise is to build large-scale solar manufacturing in Australia, and be it at Gladstone or somewhere else. Um, they're going to have to do something if they're going to sort of meet their target of 15 million tonnes of green hydrogen a year. That's going to involve 450 gigawatts of wind and solar by 2030 now. Um, it just, wow. Those wow. numbers just seem so crazy. They just seem impro- improbable. But, look, you know, that's... Um, that's what they're aiming for. And, um, look, they are, they are rolling out real projects here and there. I mean, a, a real manufacturing facility for electrolyzers in Gladstone. Um, so it's starting to take shape. It's going to be interesting to see if they get anywhere close. It certainly is. And I, and I also saw they acquired some of the assets of the Williams Formula One team, or actually the spin-off for the tech, uh, who were you know heavily involved in Formula E. And uh, they made an acquisition of part of the um, the Williams Technology Group, which was really really interesting to to get access to the EV drivetrain stuff. And uh, actually, a colleague was uh, was describing to me how one of their their train runs is basically you know they fill it up with ore, and uh, they run it all the way down to the coast, and it's pretty much downhill all the way, full of ore. And uh, then they empty it, and then they drive the empty train back up, and it uses a huge amount of energy. Of course, being a diesel a diesel train, sorry, not a truck a train. And they've realised that um, using regen, <laughs> they can actually leverage all this enormous—I mean, thousands of tons, tens of thousands of tons—I assume of this big train. Thousand tons. 32,000 tons on a 2.8-kilometre train coming down from 600 metres. Imagine the regen. It just excites me (laughs) thinking about it. So you basically just regen all the way down, charge up all your batteries, dump the load, and then just saunter back up with with very little weight and then turn around and do the whole thing over again. So uh, very – it's one of those beautiful, logical, symbiotic fits for – you know EV technology, so you know I can't wait to see what they do uh, with the with the Williams Tech uh, on their trains. Yeah, well, it's called the Infinity Train, and it's where gravity is our friend. So it's kind of works in pumped hydro, and um, <laughs> and uh, we're starting to see a lot of these sort of gravity storage things now. Some of them sort of you know you're not too sure whether it's going to work or not. But there was um, some bloke came up and talked to me. Um, I think he's a company Green Gravity or something like that. He's talking about using iron ore or, or, or old mining shafts, you know, which are kind of vertical and just basically getting something heavy and lowering it down and then just winding it back up when when when, when the demand is low and the renewables production is high and then just well not letting it fall but obviously a controlled descent um <laughs> a controlled descent a controlled descent to sort of discharge and uh, when, when demand is is high and um look bhp and sun metals up in queensland have signed up or at least i've done mous with this new technology called energy vault coming out of california I've seen one article which is highly sceptical about whether this can be done, you know, within emissions and the cost and stuff like that. But look, let's let's wait and see. Um, mm. Um, mm. Be pretty interesting. Nigel, before we get on to the next item, let's have a message from one of our sponsors. SunWiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers. 
Differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals. Visit somewiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And of course, we'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their ongoing and generous support of this podcast at Sunwiz Solar Analytics and Clinergy. Nigel, it's about time we actually, we've just, we've been going almost 20 minutes. We haven't even started our list of stories to talk about, basically. But um, the NT <laughs> government has gotten rid of, I guess it must be one of the last premium tariffs in the country. Indeed, it has. Uh, from 1st of July 2022, any customer who's been on the premium feed-in tariff for four years, which they calculate as the average time it takes to recover, you know, to get the payback on a solar system, will be transitioned to the standard tariff. So after all these years of the NT really being a bit of an outlier with its um, with its premium tariff, which was 26 and a half odd cents, so a very good deal for Northern Territorians. Uh, so from July, uh, from the 1st of July, new financial year, uh, they'll be transitioned over to a 9.1 cents per kilowatt hour tariff, which is, you know, uh, still not bad compared to some of the tariffs that are around the place. Um, it was actually closed for new entrants from April 2020, which I hadn't even picked up on. Um, and interestingly, it wasn't costing the NT government a heap. It was 12 million bucks a year. Um, but what they're promising to do is take that money that was going into the premium tariff and reinvest that into our other initiatives like uh, community batteries and VPPs, which are a big topic at the conference, actually. Don't, we can go down a whole yeah. rabbit, a rabbit warren there. But, yeah, so, you know, change in the MT, but um, it's, it's probably a good change because that uh, f- uh, gross feed-in tariff, if you like, or the premium feed-in tariff kind of didn't really have uh, the benefit of teaching consumers to self-consume energy and to really think about how they were using their energy. It was just such a big, sweet carrot. It was kind of like, you know, the the, the big feed-in tariffs of of days gone by on the eastern states. So good to see them getting in line. Yeah, and the tariff's actually still high, probably higher than um, in the eastern states now, 9.13 cents, and that's probably courtesy of a relatively high wholesale price there, which is because almost all electricity comes from gas, and that's not cheap. Um, Fascinating place, Northern Territory, got really three quite distinct grids, Darwin and Catherine, which is kind of loosely linked. Then they've got Tennant Creek, and then they've got Alice Springs down the bottom. Um, yep. Really, the only renewables they've got is solar, so it it dances merrily in the middle of the day, and then they've got to try and work out what to do with the rest of the day. They've got a 50% renewable energy target by 2030, and people are scratching their head and saying, how the hell are they going to get there? There's been major regulatory and um, other issues there. Did you know, Nigel, for instance, there are four large-scale solar farms that have been constructed in the Northern Territory and connected to their main sort of Darwin, Catherine grid. They're all about sort of 10 or 12 or one of them is 20 megawatts and not a single one of them have been switched on. They've been sitting there for about two or three years. Yes, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Oh, shame, Northern Territory. Yeah. Shame. 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 So big arguments about sort of the management of this, these new rules which force those solar farms to sort of predict accurately within the kilowatt what they're going to be producing in half an hour, which of course is, you know, sort of prone to sort of issues. Um, this sort of requirement that they had to all sort of attach batteries to them. Um, mm. There's a yeah, there's a solar farm at the RAAF base there. It's not allowed to export back into the grid, even though it's got more than it probably needs at certain times of the day. 
um, really is major sort of regulatory, as I sort of said, saying regulatory and cultural issues there. I mean, look, you know, it's not simple, but I mean, crikey, well, I think we're better than this. But what's fascinating is that um, it's a pretty small grid, probably about 200 megawatts peak load or an average of, you know, in the hundreds and something like that. But then you've got Mike Kenner-Brooks and Andrew Forrest about to build this 20 gigawatt thing <laughs> down south. So I think that should get That'll them to 50% renewables quite easily and and, and, um, and with battery storage. So um, some problem solved there, I think. But um, no, pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. What, I've written yeah. a couple of times about it. Um, interesting. Just, it just seems to be like a little bit crazy up there. but It is. And, and you know, it is a really challenging environment. I've, I've worked on and off over the last 30 years. Um, very In the very early days, did a bunch of stuff up there and was involved in the Solar Cities Project in Alice Springs and a lot of remote work on Indigenous communities, helping to uh, get energy out there as well over the years. And, and it is really challenging on those small grids where you've got diesels, that really, you know, a lot of them are, are, are just not capable of ramping up and ramping down. And um, so it is really, really challenging on those grids. But, you know, Alice has just been chipping away really nicely. And, and, and you know, the lessons, the lessons are there around the world and around the country for how to make that stuff work. So, you know, I think um, it'd be great to see the NT government catch up on a bit on that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there was there was something that's that at Alice Springs, a new sort of study or trial or um, um, a virtual power plant initiative down there. But um, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But Nigel, you've got a couple of gongs to send Solar Victoria's way. What's all that about? Oh, I do actually, um, because you know, bless them. Um, not only have they got one of the most um, you know, successful, I think it's fair to say, and uh, generous rebate schemes around the country to incentivize solar and increasingly batteries and now also for, for business as well. But they're, they're, they're also working behind the scenes and they've launched a free uh, training scheme for electricians and electrical engineers who want to gain specialist solar industry skills. So they've put aside $11 million uh, for training and workforce development, which is just unreal. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's really important that we continue to bring especially the younger generation, the next generation through into the industry and um, uh, transition people out of um, industries that are on decline and give them opportunities to move into the growth industries in renewables. So fantastic there, um, good opportunities for people who are interested in moving into renewables. And I also noticed that, you know, going back to our topic earlier on, they're also running some really excellent courses on gender and workplace diversification targeted at the solar industry. So, you know, we've got a lot of diversity in our industry in terms of uh, cultures and nationalities and languages and all those kinds of things. And also, we, um, you know, we have, uh, a, a, I don't know, it'd be a really interesting number, and I have no idea, I'm embarrassed to say, how many women are in our industry. There's a challenge for the girls that are wise and the guys that are wise to try and get a handle on on what the, what the, um, the ratio is. But, of course, women are underrepresented because it's largely a trade industry. So there is um, opportunities for training and some um, apprenticeship packages and some incentives for female apprenticeships, if I'm not mistaken. So great work by Solar Vic on, you know, reaching past just slapping money at the problem, but actually going into some of the really you know, the really nitty gritty things about how to develop an industry, how to enhance and improve an industry and, you know, how to keep an industry progressive. So good on Solar Vic. Yeah, good on them. And look, um, Victoria is actually probably one of the strong points of the industry at the moment, at least of the most certainty, thanks to um, 
um it's um it's ongoing uh, ongoing rebate scheme so um so yeah that's, um that's a good thing and uh, it is a, yeah it is a good thing and it's um speaking of victoria a great excuse for me uh since i didn't get COVID at um <laughs> at smart energy council uh event last week uh, i'm going to go give it another crack and go to another event next week uh so i'm heading back down to victoria to ballarat actually where sia victoria uh, holding their annual event, um, really good registrations number uh, numbers actually that I saw come through today. So if you do want to go, you better better register quickly because I think they'll be sold out before long. Um, one of those excellent little events. We talk about what the the great work that SIA does um, at the sort of grassroots level of the industry for installers and and small businesses. And um, yeah, Ballarat's always a great event. I, I missed the last couple, but really excited to be heading down there next week. Yeah, well, you might want to check the spelling of Ballarat because when you put it into your Google Maps, you might end up somewhere else. But um, <laughs> just, as, just as a heads up. It's, it's luckily, it's a podcast, Giles. <laughs> we're not editing that. No, we're not editing that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Deary me. Now, I, I suppose we'd better get on to electric vehicles. Um, um, have we finished with solar? Yeah, the only thing I was going to do was mention the terrific episode. Uh, We did a live recording at uh, the Smart Energy Council event last week uh, with the guys from Just Another Solar Podcast, Luke Beattie and Carl Jensen. They interviewed me. I interviewed them. It was weird, but it was good. Uh, And a couple of terrific... Yeah, that sounds <laughs> but a couple. What's the competition authority think about that? <laughs> it was really good though. They've got the they've got a great little uh, great little niche that they're targeting in the uh, in the solar podcasting uh, space, if you like. And and Luke and Carl are terrific guys, so it was really nice to. Uh, we did a wrap on the event and sort of talked about the things that we'd seen and heard and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, apart from both of them coming down with COVID, which makes me nervous, uh, it was a really good chat and I hope you get better soon, fellas. Oh dear. Um, yes. Okay. That's no good. Um, (laughs) Look, just quickly on to EVs, just to sort of wrap it all up. Um, we've had a couple of stories now in the last couple of weeks about the sort of the um, or the uh, lack of reliability in some of the EV charging stations. I mean, just by way of example, we've got four DC fast chargers around here. We've also got a Tesla one, but that doesn't seem to have any problems. Or when it is um, on the blink, it gets fixed pretty quickly. But um, of the four that we've got the DC fast chargers, three of them are basically haven't been working for a couple of months. So, um, and that issue is kind of replicated, not at that scale, 75%, but I mean, there are issues through the network. Someone counted 41 charging stations out of action in Queensland last week. So, um, look, it does make people think that, um, you know, um, if you're going to try and travel around the country in anything but a Tesla, then you're kind of on a hiding to nothing because um, because of the lack of reliability of some of the non-Tesla charging stations. The only problem is it'll take you and that you've got to wait a year now for a new Tesla. Um, Mm. Mind you, for some other cars, you've probably got to wait even longer. So, um, um, there you go. So, look, I'm not too sure what it is, but guys, if you've got any influence out there and... um, it's, um, that seems to be a problem. One of the things that are noted is that some of the people who are sort of like sort of operating the network don't necessarily own it or or don't own it or or people who own the charging stations, which might be part of a network, don't actually have the resources to fix it. So they thought, this is a great idea. Let's put in a, I think like with the local council here, they put up a charging station and had no budget basically to fix it. And that's been replicated in some other places in Tasmania as well. So... Um, really nice gesture, but um, probably got to think about these things a bit more strategically. Yeah. 
And look, it it is hard because obviously, you know, we're not the centre of the EV universe. Sadly, you know, we're we're down in the boondocks, and and you know, um, we uh, have really struggled to get EV uptake down here, as everybody knows, and so that must make it economically hard for the EV um, charge network guys um, who who are build, trying to build these networks out with the, you know, build it and they will come kind of philosophy. But I have to say, I want to. I want to put it out there, Giles, because this is an opportunity for Tesla to help develop the EV industry in Australia. Open up the Tesla charging network to other vehicles. You've done it in Amsterdam. I saw an announcement today about it being done in Norway. There are other places around the world. You've done your pilots. Open up Australia, Tesla. Give EV drivers the chance to overcome this and give them the opportunity to share in some of the wonderful infrastructure that you've got out there. I know I would use it if you had it and I'd happily pay a premium for it if you would do that. So please, Tesla, come on, open up that network. We could we could we could set up a date from the Cassegrain wineries there, Nigel. You could come up from Sydney, we could come down from um Byron Bay, meet meet halfway at the Cassegrain Winery, which has got this perfectly decent Tesla supercharging station. Very nice winery, very nice restaurant. <laughs> yeah, no good to me at this stage, mate. No good to me at this stage, unfortunately. Why not? What's happened? Well, I can't use the Tesla's chargers. Oh, well, no, I said, no, but if they do open, open it up, then oh, if they do it. open it, well, that's right. You know, I'll buy the drinks for Tesla if absolutely bring david leach along and he can bring he can he can top you up as we go um on the way well, there with his ionic five and, and can <laughs> i can i tell you a little secret about that because mm-hmm. i was chatting with a friend today about doing a trip up the coast to speak at an event and uh he said well we can be on standby with the tesla uh and i said what do you mean and he said oh we can dc fast charge out of the tesla to your bike if needed and i said what and he said, That's "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've worked out. We've worked out how to do uh, vehicle to vehicle DC fast charging out of the Tesla. Don't tell anyone. Sorry. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> no, oh, one oops. no one listens. No one except mum. But yeah, apparently it's possible. There's, there's, so there's, there's uh, three more. Um, yeah. So um, you know, vehicle to load, vehicle to vehicle. You know, there's there's opportunities starting to yeah. emerge. So yeah, really cool." And who knew that the Volvo XC40 recharge um, would be the top-selling EV in Australia in the month of April? Go figure. Not me. I've seen a couple around, though. I've seen it. I have seen a couple. Um, So they're starting to pop up around my neighbourhood. Now, speaking of EVs, have we got time to cover this story about this, this really interesting story from Vice? I don't like promoting other publications, but off you go. Well, you know, full credit to them. It was a really interesting article because I hadn't thought about this really. But what they highlighted was particularly in the US, uh, we're, we're actually exasperating the demand for batteries by building, as they describe it, giant boxes that sit high on the road. And boxes aren't very aerodynamic. And, no. and what Rivian and Hummer and and the really intriguing looking Ford, um, who I see released their vehicle to load um, or vehicle to home kit this week for only three grand, which is fantastic. The Ford F one fifty Lightning looks like an amazing car. But what this article really highlights is that they're massive, hairy, heavy, unaerodynamic boxes on wheels, and um, what they've sort of done—it's all perfectly rational design decisions—but they've worked out that you know. 
the market in the US wants big barn door looking tanks that weigh a lot and can do a whole lot. And unfortunately, that just needs a whole lot more batteries. And it doesn't make them very inefficient. It doesn't make them very efficient. In fact, looking, uh, looking at a graph that they had was, was, you know, frankly, quite eye watering. Um, you know, the, the Hummer in particular really um, cops it for being horrendously inefficient in terms of the sort of equivalent miles per gallon. Um, yeah, the Rivian's a little bit better, but not much better, sort of hovering it around um, 79 miles per, gavin, uh, per gallon, uh, uh, sorry, 70 miles per gallon equivalent. Right down at the other end, yeah, the Tesla Model 3, 134 miles per gallon, incredibly efficient. Nissan Leaf down there, the Chevy Bolt down there, uh, the Taycan's even better than the Rivian. And of course, it's logical. Um, but, you know, what it's really highlighting is that, you know, in trying to get people to take up EVs, they're actually building some really inefficient EVs. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure that will pass in time, but it's kind of, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing because we're making it much, much harder to get access to batteries because these big cars really use a lot of batteries. So I thought that was fascinating. No, look, it's actually quite, it's, it's true. I mean, I've been drive, I get to drive quite a few different um, EVs and you see some of them coming along and they've got really big batteries, 70 or 80 or 90, even 100 kilowatt hour batteries. Um, and you actually realise they haven't actually got much more rain than, than say, my Model 3, and that's because they're not aerodynamic. I think I'm, I've done, what, close to 90,000 Ks now at an average of 140 kilowatt hours per kilometre or um, 100, no, uh, what hour, sorry, per kilometre. Um, but um, in some of these other vehicles, very hard to get below 200. So, um, and um, and that's simply because they're not aerodynamic. I mean, a lot of them are just like converted petrol vehicles. So, um, you know, all very nice, but um, yeah, it's 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 going to be an issue. We um, we might end up sort of building sort of forty or fifty percent more battery storage than we need for these things um, because we want to drive elegant bricks or sometimes non inelegant bricks on the road. But there you go. Yeah, yeah, and look, I mean, I. Um... I think the trends will. The, the I'm hoping, Giles, that this is just going to be a short-term trend that you know passes in time because people realise well, you don't need to spend that much money. You don't need a vehicle that weighs three and a half tons if it's more efficient, it's lighter, you can travel further, and you can get away with a smaller, lighter vehicle that that has extended range. Um, so, um, but you know full power to them. It's a rational decision to try and get people into the cars, and you know, um, I saw um, I saw Oprah give away an F-150 Lightning on her show the other day to a very excited audience guest who uh, who drove away in a brand new Lightning, bless him, and he was very, very excited. I'm not going to ask what the hell you're doing watching Oprah Winfrey, Mike, uh, Nigel, but um, that's probably a whole episode just there. Look, mate, um, I think that's going to be a wrap. Um, thanks um, to you. Um, once again, thanks to the Smart Energy Council for putting on a great expo Um yeah, um, yeah, yeah. last week um thanks for the honor um and this comes from i'm sure both from me and nigel um and from steve bloom and renata egan congratulations to them for being inductees into the solar hall of fame um thanks very much everyone listening out there thanks to all those who came up and said hello and um thanks of course to our sponsors solar analytics uh, sunways and Cleanergy. and we'll be back again in a fortnight don't forget to check out Nigel's great solar business, his episode from last week and next week's episode, which we don't know much about yet, but 
he might slip in and tell us or he might not. And of course, Energy Insiders, which is a weekly podcast. And the Driven podcast will be coming back up next week as well with a fascinating interview with the guys from uh, Janus who are repurposing old semi-trailers. Basically, most semi-trailers after a million kilometres, who knew they did that much, um, had to change their engine. Perfect time to go electric and um, big savings both in costs and for emissions. Really major, fascinating story. Anyway, Nigel, I think that's it. Good on you, mate. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, SunWiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer solar analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.